If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. I will take a second and remind you that today is the last day we'll study Revelation from the pulpit until after uh, probably sometime in February. We've been working our way for those who are here for the first time through the book of the Revelation, which is God's love gift to his church because it tells us how the end's going to happen for those who oppose God. It tells us how things are going to happen for those who love God. And we just have to hear the whole message because it's not pretty. If you just stepped in for the first time today, it would be easy to assess that God, we have a God who just does nothing but judge people. But there's been a lot more to this. And you will find if you will stay with this, that, uh, um, that God has a message of hope and redemption for everyone all the way through. You see the title of the message up there, God's Destruction of Babylon. That's what we talked about, Babylon. Verse chapter 17 and 18 are about Babylon. Babylon is really fake news. We covered that last week. Babylon is really anything that opposes God. It's about compromise. It's about convenience. It's about um, all kind of personal things that God, um, that God knows better than. We think we know better, but he actually does. He's going to destroy Babylon, everything that opposes him. That's a hard message for us today. <clears throat> Back in the, in the 30s, we had our depression. Whether you've ever did, really done study on this or not, we had the Great Depression back in, in the early 30s. And it was that Great Depression that prepared us for World War II. The men and women, my daddy, your daddies, maybe we may have a World War II vet here. They lived through the hardest time imaginable in America. And they knew that America was special. So when the call came, when that unprovoked attack came on Pearl Harbor, they were ready to stand and defend what they knew were good and destroy what they knew was evil. Hearing the destruction is a tough message for, for Americans today because we've had it so easy and so good for so long. When we start talking about destruction and destroying things, we get all up in arms. If you don't believe me, have you watched your news lately, whether it's streaming or whether it's TV news? How the protests are going on against Israel, who was unprovoked, unprovokedly ta- attacked, First, of, first Saturday of October, slaying thousand, a thousand people. And now that Israel's standing up for themselves, there are protests all over this country that they shouldn't be doing it because they want to destroy their enemy. And you go, Brother Jerry, you're not a very good preacher if you think you're supposed to kill people. Well, listen, I was reading this morning in my Bible study, bud. David went and took over a country, and when he went and took over a country, he killed every man, woman, boy, girl, everything in sight. Every time God told us to take a, a nation, everything was destroyed because God didn't want any opposition left there. Now, here we get to the end of time. End of time. Revelation 17 and 18. And we become witnesses to God's 
ultimate judgment. We see it in living color. You see, God created the world to redeem us. He created you and me to enjoy us. Then when we made decisions against Him, He he has now come to this place in this book, in time, in history, where He has to destroy everything that opposes Him. Chapter 17 last week dealt with what we call, what the Bible calls the notorious prostitute. For those who are easily offended, I believe it's King James that calls her the great whore. What this was, it was the one world church. It was the ecumenical movement and there was so much compromise and, and unbelief and liberalism in it that it's known for their opposition to God and it connected with the one world government. So you have the one world church, the notorious prostitute, and now you have the one world government. And we're going to see both of them destroyed today. And it's difficult because we want to think our God is just a God of love. And make no mistake, God is a God of love. If he weren't a God of love, you wouldn't be here today. If he wasn't a God of love, we wouldn't be living, we wouldn't be living in this great country. If he wasn't a God of, God of, if he wasn't a God of love, uh, the things that you have would be nothing. But he's also a God of justice and he's a God of judgment. And the day is coming. The day is coming when he will exact his judgment. Now, if you're living in opposition to God, you have something to be concerned about. If you're living in harmony with God, if you receive his son, you receive the forgiveness of your sin, you receive the new life that he offers. And the relationship with him is that you have nothing to fear. Revelation 18. Let's stand together and get our text in front of us. It's 24 verses. If you cannot stand that long, it's okay. We just stand if we can to honor God's Word. John writes this, verse 1. After this, I saw another angel with great authority coming down from heaven. The earth was illuminated by his splendor. He called out in a mighty voice, It has fallen. Babylon the Great has fallen. She's become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Pay her back the way she also paid, and double it according to her works. In the cup in which she mixed, mix a double portion for her. As much as she glorified herself and indulged in sensual and excessive ways, give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am not a widow, and I will never see grief. For this reason, her plagues will come in just one day. Death and grief 
and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. The kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearl, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kind of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, and grain, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and slaves. Human lives. The fruit you craved has left you. All your splendor and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels and pearls, For in a single hour such fabulous wealth was destroyed. And every shipmaster, seafarer, the sailors, and all those who do business by sea stood far off as they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, Who is like the great city? They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning, Whoa, whoa, the great city where all of those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth. For in a single hour, she was destroyed. Rejoice over her, heaven, and you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. Then, a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, In this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. The sound of the harpist, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman or any, of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again, and the voice of a groom and bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because your merchants were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. In her was found the blood of the prophet's and saints, and of all those slaughtered on the earth. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, sometimes you give us your message to startle us and to make us aware of who you are. 
I pray that this morning that we will leave with a keen sense of who you are. I pray that we will see you in a prophetic way of how you created us and how you loved us and designed us and yet how in the end if we oppose you that you will destroy us. And Lord, I pray that we make the personal connection to you today so that we can be embraced by your love, your care, and your eternal life. I don't know why you did it, Lord, but thank you for giving us minds to choose you. May we do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I just want to tell you before I... I move forward that my desire for you today is pretty simple. I want you to be able to capture the scene, the scenario, if you will, of what's coming in the future. You see, God never designed the world, never designed mankind wanting to have to judge us and destroy us. It's only when we choose to not follow him, to not accept him, for him to not have a place in our lives. This morning I pray that, particularly as we get to the end of this message, I pray that you find personal help. I pray that you'll respond to the personal call from heaven today. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to unpack this story as I see it, you got your bulletin. There are five little points for you to, to catch up with. I want just, Let me just kind of unpack it that way. Number one, I want you to see the courier. The courier. You know what a courier is. Somebody who, who carries a message. And all throughout history, God has used, actually God has sent couriers to mankind to give us messages. Now, I could stand here for a long time and to just give you some names, but... If I were just to remind you, God sent a courier, a messenger to Abraham. He sent a messenger to Samson. He sent a messenger to Lot. He sent a messenger to Daniel, to Mary, to Joseph. He he sends these couriers because he wants to communicate with us. And he does it through the heavenly being. So who is this courier that I'm talking about? Well, you'll find it in verse 1. First of all, it's an angel. It says, then I saw... Another angel. Now, this is not one of the angels that blew the trumpets. This is not one of the angels that blew out, that poured out the vials. This is another angel. It is a special angel. It is a different angel. Because this angel had, I will tell you, authority. He says, this is an angel that had great authority. You know about authority, don't you, brothers and sisters? The only way you get authority, the, the, the authority you get... Is dependent on the person that hands it to you. I mean, a private in uh, the armed forces is not going to give you much authority. I've served with a pastor who was who was the uh, uh, assistant for the general. When he spoke in that position, he spoke for the general, and based on that authority, this angel has great authority because he's come from the very presence. Of God. You see, 
This angel, and if you just read that scripture, and if I go back and read it, he has authority because of his attire, because of his appearance. Because, you see, the, the deal is, is that he stepped out of heaven and he illuminated all of earth. That's pretty special. Hello? Illuminated all of the earth, the scripture says. And he had come from the presence of God. And he came with an announcement. You know what that announcement was? That announcement was, Babylon the Great is fallen. I'm sorry, Macy. I didn't mean to scare you, baby. I saw her jump about three foot high. Babylon the Great is fallen. If you read it in the, in the Christian standard, it says, It has fallen. Babylon the Great is fallen. If you carry a King James, it says, Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen. And do you know why that is? Let me just give it to you easy. We talked last week in chapter 17 that that was the one world church, the great harlot, the notorious harlot. Now, the first is fallen is that the great harlot, the notorious harlot has fallen. The second is fallen is now the one world government has fallen. Fallen twice because the church and the government has fallen. You see, here's what we need to get our heads around since we don't like destruction. This angel, this courier is announcing the destruction of everything that opposes the righteousness, the rightness, and the rule of God. Everything that opposes God is going to be destroyed. At this point... Those who've been here for the whole time or have read the book of the Revelation, you wonder, why would people still oppose destroying evil? But they do. I could ask that question today. Why do people oppose getting rid of evil in our land today? It's because we're a fallen creature. One of the things about this wokeness going on around this country is this. They believe that we are basically good people. And if we are left to our own, we'll work it out. My observation through history and my short life is this. If we're left to our own, we'll destroy ourselves. The courier sent from heaven, an angel with great authority, with the announcement that everything's going to be destroyed. The second thing that I see in this, in this text is the cause. Why is everything going to be destroyed? I mean, why, why did the church and the government have to be destroyed? Now, for me, this, in the Scripture, there are several things that tell us here. They'll be up on the screen. Watch this. She has become a home. This government has become a home for demons. Did you see that there? A home for demons. Now I know I'm speaking to a household, house full of Southern Baptists. And I just want to say this to you, Southern Baptists. I'm, I've been a Southern Baptist born. I'm Southern Baptist bred. One day when I die, I'll be Southern Baptist dead. You cut me, I bleed, bleed the cooperative program. But we don't get it all right. Y'all just need to know that. We don't get it all right. Because most of my life, people have told me, well, there's no such thing as demons today, Brent. No such thing as demons today. 
And I pointed them to a couple of people and going, have you sh-? no, I didn't do that. <laughs> Here's what I want to say to you. There were demons in the Old Testament. There were demons in the New Testament. And there's not one word in this book that tells us that there's not demons today. And quite honestly, as I look around the United States of America, I'm afraid that we have become a home for demons. Home. But then it says, what, it's, just not, it's not through yet. That's the first cause, second cause. Then it uses the word haunt, a haunt. Is, everybody, is that a word that you use every day? Normally when you use the word haunt, you're talking about a ghost haunting things. The word haunt, if you don't know, literally means a cage, a prison, or a dwelling place. And it says it's become a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean beast. Was there any commonality? Can you connect that point? Unclean. Truth is, it's like they're being held captive in an evil place. Now, you're going to love this third one. This is not in the Bible. But just as I studied it, as I'm studying this and I'm reading this and it says, uh, uh, For they have become drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. They're drunk. They're intoxicated. So I'm going to tell you the third cause that, they're, that, that the government's getting destroyed. It's because of its hangover. Now, you know what a hangover is. I, I kind of want to say, who's ever had a hangover? But I don't think I'm going to do that in church, okay? I was just going to ask you to raise your hand, and it would be, it'd be okay. But here's what I'm going to tell you about a hangover. A hangover is one of those things that make you feel bad, and you generally go, I am never going to do it again until you get the next chance. You see, these guys had been so, if you will, in bed with the government, in bed with the false church, that they had become intoxicated. They didn't, they didn't think right. They didn't live right. They didn't do right. Because sin, maybe this is the part that you need to hang on to today. Sin is intoxicating and sin is addicting. It's kind of like Lay's potato chips. The old commercial was nobody could eat just one. And you think you can flirt with sin and not get burned? You will never flirt with fire and not walk away burned. The cause that the government and the, and the church, that false church, were going to be destroyed because they've come a home for demon, a dwelling place for the evil and unclean. And they still had a hangover from all the sin that they committed. But on earth there was the third thing that I'll show you here is the concern. People were concerned. We might think, we might think that when the evil church and the evil government are judged and destroyed that people would be happy. But somehow the opposite is true. People believe the lie that bad is good. 
That's the culture that we live in today, let alone here. They were concerned about this government. They were concerned about this church. You know why? Let me just give you three reasons from the Scripture. First of all, her influence. The influence of this government. Now, if you are, have your Bibles open, you look at verses 9, you can look at verses 11, you can look at verses 15, and you can look at verses 17 in the middle of the verse. And what you'll discover is you'll discover that the influence of this government extended to national leaders, to business leaders, to businessmen, and even down to workers. They see this government, this Babylon, if you will, as an answer to the mess they're in. Brothers and sisters, we live in a nation where we think the government's going to fix us. It's not going to be the White House. It's going to be the church house. Attitude seems to be permeating our country today. We had an election this week. Every time we have an election, now we did okay in Mississippi, but every time we have an election in this nation, we seem to drift a little further and a little further from our founding fathers and their words and their principles. And thus we become more vulnerable to evil. We become vulnerable to evil attacks. You know what it would shock some people to know? And I will tell you my source, wall builders, David Barton, to know that during the Civil War, many preachers would finish services on Sunday morning, preach to their congregation, and walk over to the wall and pick up his musket and say, okay, men, it's time to go fight. And if the, and if the godly Christian men hadn't fought, we would not be free today. Yesterday was Veterans Day. I can get misty-eyed at Veterans Day and Memorial Day. I spent, <laughs> we moved to Biloxi in 1994, and they said, how do you, uh, I won't tell you the whole conversation, but the bottom line was, how do you like living in this military environment? And I said, well, look, I've already been at one church six years, one church four years, one church four years, one church three years, and now I'm here is that all of those times were all around bases, Barksdale, uh, NAS, Pensacola, Whiting Field, uh, Homeport, Pascagoula, Keesler. I said, you know what? If I stay here long enough, they may give me a pension. I just want to say this. The finest people in the world are people who love the country so much that they will give their lives to protect her. And we should honor them. influence but you can also look here and find her indictments let's just keep it simple she not only has sensual ways now listen carefully we covered this I think my associate pastor was the one that came up to me and said last week said the quote of the day is let's talk about prostitution and everybody got really uncomfortable. But here's what I... All through Scripture, when you take that which is holy and you give it to that which is unholy, the Bible refers to it as sexual immorality. And that's what this government has done. She not only takes the gifts of God 
and gives them to the unholy one, that is Satan. She has excessive ways where she commits evil acts to make her look great in the eyes of human beings. Not only does she do that, she gets people to join in with her. Uh, Ken, don't strangle me, but that sounds like the government in America today. She's doing wrong, and, and those who love her, love that evil system, and follow her, are concerned about the fact that God's bringing judgment on her. And that brings me to the last thought. When you think about this concern and, and how her influence spans leadership, but her indictment is unquestioned. Because in that, in that culture, as in this culture, look at her importance. They were literally saying, as we say about the government today, how can we live without her? To these people in this day, Babylon, the one world government as well as the one world church, had become the great white father, the big brother, the God who was able to meet every need. And they were more concerned about them than they were about God. They were concerned about what was going to happen when, the one, when God brought the one world government to its knees. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I'm afraid that the United States of America may be about to be brought to her knees. And it won't take, a, it won't take an election. It'll take a revival to change that. God has laid it out that he's going to judge her. As I read this and looked at this, the next thought that jumped out at me is down in verse 21, and it is the completeness of her judgment. The completeness of her judgment. Look in verse 21 with me. Here's another angel. A mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying... In this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently. And watch this. Never be found again. The sound of music will never be heard of you again. Work will never be found in you again. Production will never be found in you again. Light will never be found in you again. You know what? There'll never be another wedding there. There'll be no joy there. This judgment... Let me just tell you about it. It will be terrible. It will be terrible. The stone is thrown into the sea, thrown into the sea. And you're, can anybody tell me what the sea is? I knew y'all weren't listening. The sea is blood. From the other judgments, the sea is blood. So the angel throws this massive stone into the sea 
and a massive wall of bloody water overtake the coastal cities. They are decimated, along with those who have backwaters. The waters just annihilate everything. Cities are washed away. Residents are killed. It's terrible. If you want to see a picture of this, you can, go, you can just write this down. You can go to Daniel 2 and see about the, the toes and in, da- in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It would be terrible. Second thing I'd say to you is this is going to be total. Complete. Not only will the cities and the infrastructure be destroyed, but all the music, work, production, everything will be gone. Any peace on earth is gone. But here's what I want to tell you third, for the sake of time. It'll be truth. They won't, this won't be a false, a false punishment. We're given the truth because it says, this will happen because. This will happen because. Verse 23, your servant, your merchants were the nobility, the rich people, the business people were the nobility, and they were all deceived. They were filled with pride. They were filled with arrogance. Never again. Because judgment and justice have come. And you think, Brother, Brother Jerry, that's pretty, that's pretty terrible. If you haven't been listening till now, in the midst of God, of this horrible scene of judgment, God issues you and me and them a message of hope. If you will look back in verse 4. Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sin or receive any of her plague. It's a call to come. Do you know that's been the call of Jesus? The call of Jesus is always to come. We, we know about this thing of come. And we do. Particularly out here on the creek. Come over to my house. I got an invitation for Thanksgiving meal. Come over to her house. People reach out routinely and say, come see me. Jesus does the same. He says, come. He says, come out. He says, come to me. You see, he invites us. With her, with her, he tells us, first of all, he wants us to come out. What's he want us to come out from? Verse 5, come out from her evil. Come out from her evil. Verse 7, come out from her ego. You see, she glorifies herself. She replaces herself as God. She sets herself up as God. She's the queen. She's not a widow. She glorifies herself. She wants people to worship her. May, may I just say a word about this? Staff, we'll get into this uh, probably this week in our staff meeting. Adrian Rogers said this. He says, we become what we worship. And we lead our families to worship what we worship. I don't know about you, but that's sobering to me. Worship is not just sitting on the... We had a great worship this morning. Thanks for leading us so well. 
Brother Eric inquire. Worship is not just singing a couple of songs, having somebody pray. Worship is giving our all. You see, this woman was demanding all because she thought she was God. Come out from them. Come out from her. Come out from her evil. Come out from her ego. But come out and miss her end. Her end. Verse 8. For this reason, her plagues will come up in just one day. At that time. Look at what it lists. It says... In this order, death, grief, and famine. Would you allow me to put that in the order that it will happen? It will first of all be famine. No food. Which will lead to grief personally and collectively. Which will ultimately lead to death. Of this society called Babylon. Jesus' invitation to you and to me is always, are you listening? Come. To the children, he, to the disciples, he said, let the children come. In fact, he went on and said this, are, are you listening? He said, and unless you come to me like a child. Have you ever thought about what that means? I mean, if you're up on the house and I say, jump down, I'll catch you. You look at me like I lost my mind. But you put a child in that same position and you say, jump to me. They don't even think about it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, trust me like a child. Trust you. He says, come. He said, said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the way. He's the door. He's the door out of evil. He's the door out of ego. He's the door out of the end of this world. And his invitation is personal to you. He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You see, Jesus' call to every person in this room is the same. It's not stand. It's not stay. It's not sit. It's come. Come to miss the judgment. Because judgment is coming. Come to enjoy life here. Remember, he says, I've come that you may have life and have it, King James, abundantly. Other translations that you can have life to the fullest. That's what abundant is. It means full and running over. Come here. Come to me here so you can enjoy me there. I want you to think about that. Come to me here so you can enjoy me there. I have a philosophy. Some of you have heard this. If I were to ask this room, who wants to go to heaven? Everybody's hand would go up. Because if I said, who wants to go to hell? Nobody's hand would go up. Who's ready to go to heaven? Hands would go up all over the place. I just have a question for you here. 
If you really don't think, if you really don't find happiness among the people of God, in the building of God, being a part of the church of God, hearing the message of God, if I, I'm excited about the shoeboxes, but if those shoeboxes are what excites you, you're not finding joy in Him. I love the choir. And I'm saying this so don't anybody punch Eric. He and I talk about this all the time. I look forward to when the choir is up a lot more often. But if you find your joy in the choir, you haven't found your joy in the Lord. You find your joy in your preacher. I can't imagine that happening. Amen. Thank you. If you find your joy in something or someone other than the Lord, here's my question for you. Why in the world would you want to go to heaven? I have friends who lost dads or lost brothers and said, and he's enjoying heaven now. And I'm going, I bet that's hell for him. Because he never enjoyed being in God's presence with God's people when he was on earth. What makes you think he's going to enjoy it beyond this life? Where do you find your joy today? The call from Jesus is come. And I'll give you joy. Let's pray together.